Hi, welcome back. My name is Alana, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Welcome to the first episode of 2021. Oh my goodness, how exciting. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's excited to leave 2020 as a part of history. Um, hopefully you learned something new about yourself or something happened that made you stronger, made you more resilient, made you think about things a little differently, maybe made you more grateful. I think this episode will help us all start and continue the year on a great foot, and I'm really excited for you guys to listen. So I'd like to invite you to take a mindful breath. Release any tension in your body. In and out. This week, I sat down with Dr. Ruth Arumala, who is a Nigerian-American obstetrician-gynecologist, specifically a reproductive surgeon, that I actually met on Instagram. Her handle is i.am.drdr.arumala. So i period am period dr period a-r-u-m-a-l-a. Also, please bear with me. I did butcher her name the first few times that I spoke and I forgot to ask how to pronounce it before I got started. So bear with me. I know I hate when people pronounce my name wrong, but luckily she was super nice about it and I do correct it later in the episode. She co-runs a private practice in Mansfield, Texas, and is a true representation of what it means to be a strong woman in medicine. So I asked her to be this week's guest. I think it's a perfect start to our new year. We got personal and talked a little bit about her personal life and hobbies, how to build confidence as a woman of color in medicine, as well as different facets of the world of OB-GYN. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Also, I've got some great news. This episode of Brown Girl White Coat is sponsored by PixRise. PixRise is an incredible video service that provides visual memory hooks for all things step one. I'm talking everything biochemistry to lung cancer. We love PixRise because these videos make it super easy to remember the medical information that you need to know. It really makes it stick. They've got these wacky pictures and wacky mnemonics and things that help you remember what the heck you're supposed to learn. And part of medicine isn't fun. There's a lot of things that you're going to learn that you're not interested in. And PixRise is a really easy and fun way to learn boring things. Check out PixRise.com, P-I-X-O-R-I-Z-E.com. And use the code BGWC15 for 15% off of any of their packages. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Dr. Aramala. Thank you so much for joining us and the Brown Girl White Coat podcast today. We are extremely happy to have you. Um, my goals today are to get to know you, to learn a little bit about obstetrics and gynecology and just your experience in the field. Excited to be here because obviously the name of your podcast is me. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's just jump right into today's segment. So first, we're going to be doing something that's called setting the record straight, where I'll give you three segments and you'll tell me whether they're true or false, and then you can give us an explanation why. Also, just a bit of a plug here, um, Dr. Omala is the star of the podcast called Pretty Pink Podcast. Um, you can find it on Spotify and Apple Music, uh, or I guess Apple Podcasts. Her most recent episode includes debunking myths in gynecology. So check it out. Let me know what you learned. Maybe drop a comment down below and maybe leave a comment on her podcast as well. So let's get started. Um, number one, OBGYN is a field more suited for female physicians. Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, 
I don't think it's suited for one gender versus the other, even though a lot of uh, women are now wanting female doctors. Um, the, the field itself is very demanding. So women who are providers, who are physicians, also want a life and want to be able to raise their children and not be called in the middle of the night. So I think modern day gynecology is suited for either gender, but um, I think that the way that uh, group practices are run, where you're just doing basically shift work and their hospitalists have kind of opened up the door to allow more women into our field. And I should say now in training, 80 to 90% of gynecologists are women in training. Now, those that are providers are still uh, male dominated, but it's getting to be, so the future of gynecology is really uh, female. I wonder why we're kind of seeing the shift away from men. If it's because, you know, there's more access for women to be working in medicine, or if maybe patients are more favorable to having female um, OBGYN physicians. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, First of all, the reason why there were male gynecologists is because there were no women. And now Mm -hmm. 60% of um, medical students are actually women. So the majority of future doctors are going to be women, which then translates to the idea that, you know, some women really want to take care of women. They have many experiences that have kind of opened up the door for them to feel like, hey, I would want to take care of someone who has endometriosis because I've had endometriosis or I've had three kids and I love the way my female gynecologist or my midwife took care of me. I would like to be an obstetrician or those kind of things kind of um, prompt you to want to go because you've had a personal experience because a lot of what we want to do in our careers, either that we've had a personal experience and or we've been exposed to someone who mentors us that we really want to admire and want to be like. And I I know my first foray in medicine was because I had really bad skin. So I loved my dermatologist and I wanted to become a dermatologist because of that. And if you ask most people who are pre-med what they want to do, they're going to tell you they want to become a pediatrician. And the reason why is because the only doctor they've ever seen is a pediatrician. Mm, um, right. And so I always tell them, you're probably not going to be a pediatrician. If not, everybody would be a pediatrician. So you got to have an open mind as to what you want to do. Gotcha. So I do want to talk a little bit more about, I guess, the exposure in medicine and how you might have wanted to pursue dermatology or maybe pediatrics, but we can get into that a little bit later. Um, So the second setting the record straight is that medicine and faith or religion must exist separately. Ooh, that is something I believed until I have my current position. Um, Where I... Um, so I think in general, a lot of providers try not to step over the toes or on the toes of their, um, their patients. And that's understandable, especially that we want to be politically correct. And I know like when you first um, said hi to me today, you were like, well, if you celebrate Christmas, um, I want to say Merry Christmas. And I think that that's, you know, really being politically correct. I work in a institution, the hospital that I work at is part of the Advent health system. So religion is really like part of 
the way we practice medicine. However, I don't force it on anyone if you're not religious or if you are, um, are somebody of a different religion that doesn't preclude you from either working there or being my patient. But I do offer it to patients that, like there are lots of patients who are like, Dr. Rula, pray with me before my surgery or mm-hmm. uh, can you pray with me because I just found out like my, my mom has breast cancer and I'm really, really worried. So I have that interaction, but if someone doesn't bring it up, it's not, you know, it doesn't preclude me from taking care of them. So I'm actually not too familiar with, what did you call it, an Advent? Um, Advent Health is, um, so a lot of Christian organizations actually run a lot of hospitals. All the mm-hmm. Methodist hospitals are run by the Methodist Church. Um, I, I trained at Georgetown University, which is a Jesuit institution, which is a small sect of um, Catholicism. So there's like a lot of, actually a lot of hospitals are part of charity care from religious institutions. I actually had no idea that religion played such a big role in, I guess, the institutions that exist today. In Black culture, for the longest time, Black people weren't really allowed to go to white institutions. So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of medicine, so they were going to Howard, Meharry, and Morehouse. And so um, that only has is three institutions that only produce so, so many doctors. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times, pastors doubled as um, physicians. So when they were, you know, I, call, I think pastors are, and priests are the um, physician of the soul, but they were having to be the physician of the soul and the body. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about why, like, you know, a lot of older black people don't want to go to the doctor, we shouldn't forget that history and be like, oh, what's wrong with them? And I don't understand. A lot of it yeah. is rooted in history that's what their, they saw their mothers and their grandmothers do. So they don't trust the institution of medicine because medicine has been poor to us and they do mm-hmm. trust their pastor. So I think that um, we should always be kind and, and never forget history when we're talking about the behaviors of humans. I think that's extremely important because even myself as a black woman, I there's a lot of my history that I don't know in medicine and just in our culture in general. And a lot of people with the COVID vaccine, at least the black community, is a lot less trustworthy of the government and of the healthcare system. And I've noticed a lot of people in general are talking about the Tuskegee trials with the syphilis, even though that was a completely separate entity of what the COVID vaccination is. Um, How do you think that kind of intertwines with how people trust healthcare today? So it's really interesting because the Tuskegee trials are actually the opposite of what's happening with COVID. Mm -hmm. So for those that aren't um, aware, there were a bunch of people that were part of a syphilis trial in Tuskegee. And um, the very far after there was a cure for syphilis, which is penicillin, um, Mm -hmm. they were not, they were not giving black men these, uh, the penicillin uh, to treat their syphilis. They were allowing it to continue so that they could see what happens in latency, what happens in tertiary syphilis, neurosyphilis, um, those like advanced syphilis, which are actually pretty devastating. Um, And they wanted to see what happened. It gave medicine a lot of information, but it was at the expense of black men who are husbands, fathers, brothers, uncles, sons. So Mm. that was a 
big deal. And so this is withholding medication and COVID vaccine is actually not withholding medication. But then you wonder to yourself, are they uh, experimenting on black people? Because you see that the push is really to get it into communities that really need it. And since black and brown um, communities have a disparity, which is really rooted in the way that we are treated, but mm-hmm. um, a disparity in COVID infection because of multi-generational households and the fact that most black and brown people work in essential um, areas where there's a lot of contact with other people like bus drivers, um, Mm -hmm. people who work in fast food and different kinds of things. So at that point, um, it kind of makes it difficult for us to say, well, you, sh- you have been treated like crap, but now we want to give you what's best for you all of a sudden. Again, mm-hmm. we cannot forget history. We cannot forget history. I'll say it again. We can't forget history. And we should remember that in this 2020, so a lot of people will say, oh, the Tuskegee trials happened 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But in 2020, we all heard, or we should have heard, about the, the jail in um, Georgia, where women were having hysterectomies without knowing what they were doing. Now, these were brown women who did not speak English. These were people that are part of um, immigration detention centers. But this is, there's still a disparity, right? Like, it's happening today. So we cannot Mm -hmm. act as if, like, people are crazy by why they say that. And so I always have some kind of grace and... um, and understanding when people, I want to understand why they think, and I can debunk as a black woman who has already gotten the COVID vaccine, I can speak Mm -hmm. about it from that standpoint. Early this in, I think it was in April, I wrote a um, guide called the Black Patient's Guide to COVID. I wrote it with um, Color of Change and it has been widely distributed. Um, We are hoping to make an update because it's very important now that the the vaccine is available to really touch the communities that really matter without, and and maybe this is an opportunity, not sure, but maybe this is an opportunity to reestablish trust in black and brown communities. I would absolutely love to see that. Thank you so much for sharing and for teaching. I mean, I didn't even think, you know, there are, are some people that probably don't know what the Tuskegee trials were and thank you for clearing that up. Um, so I know we kind of went off on a bit of a tangent and the third, um, setting the record straight is that you never stop studying when you work in medicine. This is hundred percent correct. I tell people I am in grade 30. I am 34. <laughs> so I'm currently mm-hmm. studying for, so in this past year, I, um, got several certifications. I taught myself robotic surgery and took and passed the certification and now I offer it to my patients. Done lots of cases. Um, So that's my surgical uh, background. I also have um, uh, became a sexual dysfunction practitioner. Um, So that was something that I did this year and I'm studying for my oral board exams, which I'll be taking in February. And next year, I have goals to attend multiple, because my real passion is surgery. 
And um, so I have multiple surgical courses slated for next year. I was actually supposed to go to Verona, Italy, and I was going to go to the Amalfi Coast after. But um, that was actually, it was supposed to be slated for June. And if you remember, Italy was really, really uh, bad at some point with Corona, Mm -hmm. the incidence, the prevalence, and the mortality. And that was actually when the uh, course was supposed to take place. So it was canceled. So I'm hoping that this year, 2021, by the time that rolls around, there'll be enough vaccines out where this can be held in person because it's okay to do surgical courses. I did one in December online. It's not the same because Surgery is a lot of hands-on and a lot of videos, a lot of interacting with surgeons, asking questions. And so I can't wait till that's an opportunity again. So medicine learning never ends. If you've stopped learning, you are not just staying the same. You're receiving the amount of information that you're learning. Oh, that's a great takeaway. I think it's really good for life in general. Um, mm-hmm. I will say like, if I have like next week, I don't have any surgery scheduled. My, the surgery that I had was uh, canceled by the patient, um, okay. which is another thing that you learn when you start practicing is that I never used to understand what it means to be underinsured, but that means you have mm-hmm. insurance, but it doesn't cover what you need. And so this Correct. patient has mm-hmm. insurance, but she cannot make her copay. So she can't right. have surgery, Right. And so um, because of that, I'll be going in the evening to practice surgery because if I don't operate twice a week, I, mm-hmm. I have noticed that the next time I operate, I'm not as fast. I don't make any progress. I actually recede a little bit. And a lot of the times surgery involves speed and accuracy and effectiveness all rolled in one. And so mm-hmm. the part of it that I'm working on right now is increasing my speed. So it's like being an elite athlete. You're always working on something. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, I knew that surgery was ex- an extremely lucrative field, but I didn't think that you had to really sit down and practice, kind of like maybe playing an instrument. I used to play the violin. I noticed that if I didn't practice a couple times a week, I would the next week I would really struggle and my finger movements weren't as fluid and I would mess up a lot more often. So that's really interesting to learn. But again, we're going to jump back into your background, but in just a little bit. So, okay. So you never stop studying in medicine. I think that is really, really awesome. And I think it's a good takeaway for most people, even if you're not in the medical field, you should be learning something. You should be advancing your knowledge. You should be finding things that help you grow in maybe facets that you weren't too familiar with before. Also, have I been pronouncing your last name correctly? Arumala? Arumala? Yes, Arumala. 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 Okay, Dr. Arumala, I apologize. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So right now, um, I'm going to tell you my my background backwards. So right now, I own a private practice in Mansfield, Texas called My Mansfield OBGYN. It was opened in uh, June or July of 2019, so we're a year and a half old, uh, which has been an exciting journey. I do about 80%, uh, actually now 70% GYN. I do a lot of surgery, a lot of in-office procedures. I do a lot of reproductive surgery. So a lot of women come to me who are in their 35 to 45. They still want to have babies. They have fibroids. I take out their fibroids. I work hand-in-hand with a reproductive um, physician or 
a, a reproductive endocrinologist or what we call a fertility doctor. I work hand in hand with them. I do the cases and then they do the, if the patient needs uh, any kind of assistance anywhere from intrauterine insemination called IUI or in vitro fertilization or ICSI, which is when we inje um, inject the sperm right into the egg because the sperm might have low motility, meaning it doesn't swim as well. So there are many okay. things that uh, the reproductive endocrinologists do, and I do a lot of the surgery that preserves the uterus. I also do hysterectomies, which take out the uterus, but that's, those are the things that I do mostly in surgery. And then, so I do a lot of fibroid work. Um, mm -hmm. Fun fact, I've had eight fibroids taken out about 12 weeks ago. Um, so I have yes. gone through it myself. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm sure maybe we'll talk about that at another time, but then, um, I am affiliated with Texas health Mansfield. It's a brand new hospital that opened this month. Um, and oh, so wow. I worked, yeah, I worked for almost a year, um, with the on the executive board, helping build the, pre um, the department. I am no longer on the executive board. I also am an assistant professor at a new medical school, so a lot of things are new. Um, it, here at Fort Worth Medical School, it has a long name, but that's basically what it is. And so I serve in the OBGYN. I'm an assistant professor in OBGYN. So that's my current. Um, before this, my training was at Rowan School of Osteopathic Medicine in New Jersey. So I'm a DO, a proud one, very, very proud of my profession. Um, and then I did my, um, my um, residency at uh, Georgetown University Hospital, MedStar Washington Hospital Center, uh, which is an amazing crazy but amazing training. Uh, <laughs> after that, I went to Oklahoma where I did GYN surgery for a year. So that's kind of my background in terms of um, training. And then when I was in medical school, I did a, a year fellowship in dermatology um, in Botswana. I really thought I was going to be a dermatologist, but I really love surgery. So I will circle back to it at some point in my career, but this is where I am now. I have a Master of Public Health from Mercer University in Georgia. Um, I went to undergrad at University of Maryland, College Park. I had two bachelor's degrees, one in genetics, the other one in, um, in psycho psychology. And then I have a Master of Health Administration from UNC Chapel Hill. So I have two masters. I have five degrees. Um, I should say this because if you're listening, there are opportunities for full scholarships. I had a full scholarship to medical, sorry, I had a full scholarship to undergrad. I had a full tuition scholarship to medical school. I had a full tuition scholarship to one of the two of my masters that I paid out of my nostrils for my other master. Um, so always, always look for opportunities for um, scholarships, apply. All they can say is no, you weren't going to get the money anyway. Uh, it's a good thing to, also sure. to get into and getting awards. Um, I should say this, I'm a, I guess, award winning physician. I have received nine awards to date uh, since I opened my practice in a year and a half. And a lot of it is really just applying. And you might be the only yeah. person who applied. So nobody needs to know that. And you might not Absolutely. even know that. Right. Yeah. So 
um, just want to encourage people out there, really never stop looking for a way to either prove your worth or get paid for your worth. Uh, I recently have a friend of mine who told me that she went to her fellowship program, paid for her loans and paid her money. So these I didn't things, even know that existed. <laughs> these things exist. You need to ask. You need to ask. Um, and then um, I am Nigerian American, first generation American. My parents um, are from different parts of Nigeria. Um, I grew up in Salisbury, Maryland. I was valedictorian. I um, played three sports. I'm an athlete. Just came back from the gym, actually. Um, I ran marathons full and half. Um, so that's kind of my background. And I think I told you guys a lot about me, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously from what I've just heard, you are absolutely incredible. I aspire to just kind of walk in the footsteps that you're walking in because that's amazing. And also I know you guys can't see Dr. Arumala, but she said she just got back from the gym and she has a full beat of makeup on. She looks gorgeous. I'm sitting in my closet. <laughs> So well, I actually um, started off recording the Pretty in Pink podcast in my closet because um, mm -hmm. the sound is a little bit better. But now I just record it anywhere. Um, I actually have like, and I should also say this, you know, take some time. I work a lot, a lot. I'm on call every single day of my life because I have my own mm -hmm. practice and I don't mm -hmm. have a partner, which maybe one day that will change. I'm open to it. But um that you also have to take some time for yourself. So I booked myself a little staycation where I'm not really getting on a plane, but I'm going to be able to get somewhere and study in a different environment because I'm really tired of studying my own study. And so sure. as, you, as you go through, always take some time because you could wake up one day and you're 40 right? You really could. Mm -hmm. And all mm -hmm. you've done is study and study. I used to tell people that's why I'm not, I got gray skin. I never saw the sunlight because I studied and studied. <laughs> but one day you have to wake up and say, do I want a family? Do I want, um, what kind of life do I want to live? And so I encourage you as you're training, as you're listening, nothing is, life is not done in silos. It's all together. Dates, have fun, go out and, um, you know, get a drink, like, or if you drink or, you know, go to, yeah. once the, once the world is open again, go bowling, go throw an axe mm -hmm. at something. I mean, do <laughs> live yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's extremely important advice because even myself, I'm a pretty strong advocate of work hard, play hard. And I do think that it is really great to just kind of take something that, um, you really enjoy. So what do you like to do in your free time? What's something that makes you feel full? I love working out. I feel like that is like the ignition to like making sure that I'm still alive. I still can do, you know, I'm 34. So I strive to do the things I still, I did in college. I, mm -hmm. you know, I want to be able to, I was an athlete. So I want to be able to, um, you know, still jump and still pull up and still squat and do all the things that I, so I never let that go. I have gotten a lot less athlete athletic, <laughs> yeah. but um, because I realized that no one cares. You're not doing this for any accolades. You're not mm -hmm. trying to beat anybody on the track field. You're not trying to, you know, nothing really um, makes it, 
me push me that hard. So Mm -hmm. that is great because I can preserve my body, but I still get to push myself. And I think every decade, you know, you make the adjustments, but you don't have to give it up all the way. I think, I think that is absolutely awesome. I recently started working out. Um, I got an Apple watch um, a couple of days before Christmas and I've been using the Apple fitness plus and I've been dancing every day. So that's (laughs) finally got me moving. You did mention that you, uh, own and have your own private practice. So what made you decide to practice privately as opposed to strictly in a hospital? Interrupting this episode for another quick word from our sponsor for today. Pixarize, yes, I've used it for step one. I use it during clinics, but did you know that Pixarize also has an amazing MCAT platform? They have videos, everything from biology to um, psych and sociology topics. Those are, we all know, those are straight memorization. Things like personality disorders, Maslow's hierarchy, Maslow's pyramid, different social cognitive theories. Those are all straight memorization. And these cute little videos, similar to the same ones that I'm using for step one, are also available for MCAT. So give it a try if you have a hard time memorizing things. I think it's definitely worth it to try a different way to memorize. So again, if you're interested in trying out either the step one or MCAT platform, you guys can use our code. BGWC15. BGWC for Brown Girl White Coat 15 for 15% off any of the packages on their website. I hope you guys ace your exams and let's get back to the episode. So I should say I co-own. So I should say I co-own because um, Texas Health okay. basically runs the practice for me uh, in terms okay. of the back end. And that's that's a way to get into private practice earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to have a solo practice because I knew the type of medicine that I wanted to give and I didn't want to have to deal with the reputations of other people. Um, Mm -hmm. I had seen enough in residency to know how I wanted to practice. My year of surgery gave me the boldness to know that I could fix anything. So if I can fix anything, then I really can be by myself. I have a good support system. A lot of mentors that I call and I cry or I call and I say, what do I do about this? Um, and it also has given me the, um, the ignition that I needed to really stay, become like an expert in my field and keep learning and wanting to know like everything. So that's why I chose this. But I really think it's more about the patient experience because every patient will tell you, I have 93 reviews or 94 reviews on Google now. And mm-hmm. basically every patient will tell you like the experience is different. You get to really get to know, I really get to know my patients. I really care about them. They're my family. And that's what I wanted. That's pretty important to me as well. So I've been juggling back and forth. I mean, obviously, I'm only a second year medical student. I've got a lot of time, but I'm thinking about possibly opening my, or I guess starting my own practice, but I had no idea that you could work with hospitals and that they'll, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say do the legwork. I guess they give you a safety. They give you a safety. Um, I think that it's you know you will see what fits you. You might join a practice that already has um, the uh, culture that you're looking for. I'm sure they're out there. I mean, if somebody joined my practice and that's the culture they aspired to, then it would already be there, right? So um, yeah. you really have to be solo. Uh, for work-life life balance, if I, w- if I was married and had children, I would not be in mm-hmm. a solo practice. I just have okay. the because I am not married and don't yeah. have children. I have plants right. um, mm-hmm. who don't care if they're not. Um, right. 
So that's kind of where I would like, I would encourage people to really think about starting their own, but I wouldn't say it's the end of the world if you don't think it's for you. Um, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So can you maybe dive into what your favorite part or maybe the best part of your medical journey has been thus far? Um, probably the year that I was in Oklahoma and it seems kind of weird. I don't know a person in the soul, in the entire state. I don't need to know a soul, <laughs> but it was great because it was a lot of older physicians and, uh, I was a young buck who wanted to do everything and wanted to work. I was always taking call. I'll always take their call from them because I was being paid by the hour and they were being paid salaries. So they didn't want to, they didn't need to work any different. I would like Mm -hmm. to get more money and the more experience. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the equipment we had was a lot older. So you had to learn how to make do with nothing. And so I enjoyed my medical experience now, everything else, but I enjoyed my medical experience. I can only imagine how boring Oklahoma is outside of working. No, I've never been there. I actually started podcast <laughs> when I was there. I uh, did all the lead work. I, I you know, I'm all, I'm about eighty five percent done with three books, and I did a lot of my writing because I had the time. I traveled home quite a bit, and my ex was in Sierra Leone at the time, so he would come back to Maryland, and then we would just because our families were in Maryland. So it was fine because he was grinding, I was grinding. It really didn't matter where we were in the world if we were not together, mm-hmm. right? So, how was long distance um, with trash, your career? Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Trash. I'll never do long distance again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think. I think our relationship probably would have survived if we were not long distance. Um, okay. But long distance is a lot of. Ta- it's very taxing. And as somebody who's in medicine, you know, you want to come home and be with who you love and do things with who you love. And it kind of is really painful when you come back and you just are by yourself and, and you're not really by yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. now I'm by myself, mm-hmm. but I'm really by myself. If I want to do something, I don't have to ask anyone. Um, I don't right. have to like, if I want to spend money, I'm not asking anyone for their opinion or you know, um, we're African, so there's a lot of like family things involved. I don't have to do that yeah. because I'm solo, solo, right? Um, mm-hmm. If I want to take care of my parents, I take care of my parents. That's it, you know, my friends. Yeah. But um, so I don't, I don't, I would not recommend long distance for anyone. And that's just my, my personal opinion. Um, yeah. For those people that can do it, kudos to you, but I, I can do it again. Gotcha. I am also not the biggest fan of long distance relationships at all. Okay. So the next question is what is something people seem to misunderstand about you? Oh, there's a lot. So I think that people like to put black women in boxes just to put black women in boxes. And I will never fit into one, two, three, four of your boxes, even at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. I can I remember when my ex met me, we met at a friend's birthday party. He thought I was this loud, ratchet, like, girl, right? Because I can be that. I Mm -hmm. can be that. And then the next day, he met me and he was like, same person? Like, because now I am about my business, right? 
Absolutely. I think in the gym, I think I'm 5'11 and 200, 250 pounds when I am 5'7 and a buck 40. Like, <laughs> in my mind, I'm so much stronger and so much. I tell people BDE, be big energy. Like, that's how, that's there what I exhibit. <laughs> but I can walk there into is. a boardroom and I can sit there and they're like, mm, why is this girl with her blonde hair and her makeup and... And then I open my mouth and I'm going to tell you statistics, the most recent. I'm going to tell you what you need that you never thought you needed and mm-hmm. you will fall apart if you didn't have it. So I think that the worst mistake anyone can make is to put a black woman into a box because then you will never get the true essence of who she is. Um, and, I, and I fight that all the time. I'm going to be myself, but I'm still going to be an asset to any area of my life. I love that. I love that. I I do hate the narrative of, you know, angry black women or like there's just so many different stereotypes. categories that stereotypes and just they, they want to shove us into. And it is refreshing to prove people wrong and to make them, you know, maybe feel a little stupid or make them feel like they underestimated you. But it's also kind of unfair that we have to feel like we have to do that all the time or do a little extra all the time. Yeah, where I am in my career, I have absolutely no regards for anyone's opinion. Yeah, I, so I, at this point, like, I don't even care if you feel bad or not. I know what I do and I know how I rock it. So, you know, mm-hmm. you can, and I know what I don't know. I know I have to where I need to go. So I really pay no regards to anyone's attention. Um, and I know that I can be, I can do what I need to do completely devoid. Of, I can create my own table. I can create my own boardroom. And that's what I want Black women to be. We don't have mm-hmm. to ask for a seat at the table anymore. Mm-hmm. Our mothers did that so we can stand on their shoulders and build our own boardroom. That's what I want to encourage. And I, and I want you, Alana, to be able to stand on my shoulders and create a skyscraper that has a boardroom and own it from the soil to the sky. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. I love that. Now, do you have any tips on building that confidence that you just exude and just feeling, you know, like you have a firm foot in what you're doing? Yes. Know your stuff. Once you know your stuff, you're indispensable. If you get fired, somebody else is clamoring up your door. Where I am, the neighboring hospital is begging me to come there. Really? So it's once you know your stuff, your reputation gets out that you know what you're doing, then you have the you have I say to people, you have, you know, you have their balls in your hands and you could juggle it like you want to, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you have the keys to the kingdom. So that's my know your stuff. The hard nights where you're like, man, I want to be out, but I have an exam tomorrow. Like that, those are the times where you dig deep, you know, know your stuff. Nobody can break you if you know your stuff. My mom used to say to me, what's in your head can never be taken away from you. So I want to say to Mm -hmm. you, what is in your head and the skills that you have that come from your hands? Nobody can take that away from you. They will try, but they can't. Thank you. I am so recently kind of getting back to the know your stuff be on top of what you know because no one can snatch that from you I 
recently um, missed out on a scholarship because my GPA wasn't high enough. And I think it kind of ties into know what you're talking about so that people are begging to kind of give things to you. And it did put a damper on my confidence. And I think this conversation has definitely motivated me to really drill my head into these textbooks and kind of start trying to do a little bit better. Yeah. Um, a lot of Blackwood, a lot of, a lot of people that I mentor have performance anxiety. They know what mm-hmm. they know, but they have performance anxiety. And the only way, there's only one way to get over performance anxiety is to practice and practice and practice where you're in your performing. It's like you're practicing. So a lot of mm-hmm. people talk about that. You know, you have to realize that there's a big difference between knowledge, education, and performance. A lot of what you learn in medical school, you will never use a day in your life. You just need to perform in order to get to the next step because everything you're going to learn, you're going to learn in residency. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times I find that my mentees or my students go into the weeds and they forget, they love the zebras and they forget the actual horse. It's the mm-hmm. horse you're going to see every day. So learning... Yeah when it is good enough for you to read and understand and when it is good for you to read for performance and practice. If you're going to be taking an, a multiple choice exam, there's absolutely no reason why you should be reading. You should be doing multiple choice questions over and over and over and over so that you learn how to think through multiple choice. You learn how to decipher between two, questions, two plausible answers. What are they really like? They, they're human like you. They write the, I used to write exam questions. They write mm-hmm. the, same, the same kind of way. So you have to make test taking your superpower instead of your knowledge will come, but your, 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 the real thing that is being tested is your test taking, your performance under fire. Because in, as a physician, you're under fire a lot. Everything could be going well, and all of a sudden, a patient starts hemorrhaging. What do you do? You cannot panic. You've got to learn how to work under pressure and other performance with little sleep. That's what these exams really do for you. As soon as we finish recording this, I'll be jumping right into my practice questions. (laughs) Um, So you did say that sometimes you're kind of under the fire and things go wrong in surgery or things go wrong with just, you know, the day-to-day times you see your patients. So what are, or what do you think are the cons of working as an OBGYN? The cons are you have to work on little sleep. I could be sleeping. They call me and say, oh, your patient is in labor and delivery. Come deliver the patient now. Well, Mm. you've got to jump up. Even if you've gotten one hour sleep, next three days, you got to jump up or you come in, there's a ruptured ectopic. Uh, you're on call, you got to jump up, go to the ER, see the patient, do the surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of OBGYNs have learned to perform under little sleep, high pressure. Since we talked about the cons, what are some of the pros? What are some of your favorite things? My favorite things are, I feel like work is like hanging out. I literally go to work to like just hang out with my patients. I love surgery. Mm-hmm. I love delivering babies. So I love every aspect of my job. So it's not like mm-hmm. work to me, right? Like I called my patient yesterday on Christmas Day. I was calling some of my patients. They're like, lady, go home. And I'm like, I love this stuff. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. I don't know how for how long I'm going to love it. And the day I don't love it anymore, I won't do it. 
there are other things you can okay. do with your life. But um, I just love it. And so okay. that's my favorite part about my job. So kind of tying back to what we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, what made you make the switch from dermatology to um, OBGYN? I wanted to do surgery. They do very little surgery. What are the surgeons called? Most surgeons? Is Most that- surgeons. They, they have to do four years of medicine, four years of dermatology mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. a cosmetic um, derm fellowship or most fellowship. Well, I didn't want to do that. I could do surgery and then I could switch and do dermatology at the end. So it didn't make any sense to me. And the only part about dermatology that I liked was the cosmetic aspect. I did not care about anything else. So it didn't make sense for me to like do all these other things just to get to, that wasn't the route I wanted to take. I have friends that feel, feel the same way. They did. They took that route. I'm taking the route that I like more. And it gives me, it allows me to do women's health, wellness, and then I can add women's beauty. Can you tell me about something that you didn't expect to learn or you didn't expect to experience about your field? Oh, I didn't know. Like, until I went, I did my rotations, I didn't know that OGYN was so much surgery. I just didn't realize it. Um, and it actually is a place for anyone with any kind of personality. If you have a personality of, like, you love to work in the office, you could do just office. There are people mm-hmm. who do, you know, just GYN surgery. I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe one time in my career, I'll get there where I build mm-hmm. such a surgical practice that I don't need to see OBs. There are people who don't want to do any surgery and they just want to do obstetrics. There are people who work in just the hospital. They're hospitalists or laborists. And there are people who do, um, who do fellowships and they do family planning and they just do family planning, contraceptives, they do sterilizations, they do abortions. There are people who do go into fellowship and they do PISA adolescent gynecology, breast fellowship. Um, there are people who do cosmetic surgery fellowships. Um, they do genetics only. There are people who do maternal fetal medicine, which is the high risk doctors. And people who do fertility specialists, um, and then the urogynecologists who do the um, u- the urology stuff and the uh, pelvic, uh, they do a lot of pelvic medicine and re- reconstruction of the pelvis. So those are, I mean, there's so many things you can do. Um, they're menopause practitioners, they're sexual dysfunction practitioners of both that, of the last latter two. I'm both of those in addition to being a robotic surgeon. So there's so many, so many things you can do. So that's what I love about GYN. That is way more than I had honestly anticipated. Um, I really thought it was just mostly delivering babies and there's just so much more. So we're pelvic surgeons. General surgeons okay. are operate in the abdomen. We operate okay. in the pelvis. So the only people that operate in the pelvis for women are some kind of gynecologist. There are some surge oncologists that do hysterectomies for women who have um, oncology, like who have cancer. Sorry, I forgot to talk about GYN oncology. But there's, you know, there's minimally invasive GYN surgeons, there are reproductive surgeons. There's so many, so, so many fields. And some of them you need fellowships for and some of them you don't. Like I'm a reproductive surgeon, but I did not go to an accredited fellowship. So it's kind of not 
necessarily something that's required to move into those fields of surgery. I thought that if you wanted to do surgery, you had to do like an extra couple years of fellowship and then um, some pl- so some minimally, but then they're, they're not always accredited. Um, okay. and so it's just about your skill and how you build yourself. And, um, I, I was exposed to a bunch of people who did not go to accredited fellowships and they taught me how to do it, how to learn on my own. And so that's what I did because I really wanted to make money because <laughs> I'm allergic to broke. So there's, <laughs> there's so many, there, there are really very few rules in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, no one can really tell you. That's why I said, don't let anybody put you into a box. Boxes are nice and simple. Don't let anybody put you into a box. Thank you. That is definitely something I'm going to walk away with. So wrapping up the end of the episode, I've got two more questions for you. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? The billboard would say, um, I treat patients with my heart. Um, Because I don't treat patients with my head or with my hands, even though I use both of them. I lead with my heart because I lead with love. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I'm sure your patients absolutely love coming to see you. And since you love your job. Um, the final question is, do you have any advice for those interested in OB-GYN? Yes. Um, so in, in medical school, see how your third year rotation works. If you like it, then you can um, reach out to gynecologists around the world. And with social media, it's easy around the country. Um, and see how you, what, what angle you want to take. OB-GYN is a tough, tough, tough residency. It's an extremely tough residency. But if that's where you want to be, it is definitely worth it. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for meeting with me today, Dr. Rumala. It has been a pleasure having you. Um, I will definitely add her um, social media in the description below so that you can follow her, you can check out her podcast, etc. And is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we go? No, I just want to tell, I say this at every single podcast episode or every, every single speech that I give, and that is you are worth your dream. You are worth your dreams. You don't need to compromise your dreams for anyone, not even for yourself. Mm, that is excellent advice. Thank you so much again, Dr. Ruth. It has been a pleasure having you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays and please stay safe. Um, Because um, Texas Health basically runs the practice for me uh, in terms of the back end. And that's that's a way to get into private practice earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to have a solo practice because I knew the type of medicine that I wanted to give and I didn't want to have to deal with the reputations of other people. Um, Mm -hmm. I had seen enough in residency to know how I wanted to practice. My year of surgery gave me the boldness to know that I could fix anything. So if I can fix anything, then I really can be by myself. I have a good support system. A lot of mentors that I call and I cry or I call and I say, what do I do about this? Um, And it also has given me the... um, the ignition that I needed to really stay, become like an expert in my field and keep learning and wanting to know like everything. So that's why I chose this. But I really think it's more about the patient experience because every patient will tell you, I have 
93 reviews or 94 reviews on Google now. And Mm -hmm. basically every patient will tell you like the experience is different. You get to really get to know. I really get to know my patients. I really care about them. They're my family. And that's what I wanted. That's pretty important to me as well. So I've been juggling back and forth. I mean, obviously I'm only a second year medical student. I've got a lot of time, but I'm thinking about possibly opening my or I guess starting my own practice, but I had no idea that you could work with hospitals and that they'll, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say do the legwork, I guess. They give you a safety They give you a safety net. I think that it's, you know, you'll see what fits you. You might join a practice that already has um, the uh, culture that you're looking for. I'm sure they're out there. I mean, if somebody joined my practice and that's the culture they aspired to, then it will already be there, right? So um, yeah. you don't really have to be solo. Uh, for work-life life balance, if I, w- if I was married and had children, I would not be in mm-hmm. a solo practice. I just have okay. the because I am not married and don't yeah. have children. I have plants. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Who don't care if they're not. Um, right. So that's kind of where I would, like, I would encourage people to really think about starting their own but I wouldn't say it's the end of the world if you don't think it's for you. Um, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So can you maybe dive into what your favorite part or maybe the best part of your medical journey has been thus far? Um, probably the year that I was in Oklahoma and it seems kind of weird. I don't know a person in the soul in the entire state. I don't need to know a soul. <laughs> But it was great because it was a lot of older physicians and uh, I was a young buck who wanted to do everything and wanted to work. I was always taking call. I'll always take their call from them because I was being paid by the hour and they were being paid salaries. So they didn't want to, they didn't need to work any different. I would like Mm -hmm. to get more money and the more experience. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the equipment we had was a lot older. So you had to learn how to make do with, nothing and so I enjoyed my medical experience now everything else but I enjoyed my medical experience I can only imagine how boring Oklahoma is outside of working I mean, I've never been there I actually started that's <laughs> when I was there I did all the lead work I, I you know I'm, all, I'm about 85 percent done with three books and I did a lot of my wow. writing because I had the time I traveled home quite a bit and my ex was in Sierra Leone at the time. So he would come back to Maryland and then we would just, cause our families were in Maryland. So it was fine because he was grinding. I was grinding. It really didn't matter where we were in the world if we were not together. Mm-hmm. Right. So how was long distance um, with Trash. your career? Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do, I'll never do long distance again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think our relationship probably would have survived if we were not long distance. Um, okay. But long distance is a lot of, ta- it's very taxing. And as somebody mm-hmm. who's in medicine, you know, you want to come home and be with who you love and do things with who you love. And it kind of is really painful when you come back and you just are by yourself and, and, and you're not really by yourself. Right. Like mm-hmm. now I'm by myself, mm-hmm. but I'm really by myself. If I want to do something, I don't have to ask anyone. Um, I right. don't have to like, if I want to spend money, I'm not asking anyone for their opinion or 
you know, um, we're African, so there's a lot of like family things involved. I don't have to do that yeah. because I'm solo, solo, right? Um, mm -hmm. If I want to take care of my parents, I take care of my parents. That's it, you know, my friends. Yeah. But um, so I don't, I don't, I would not recommend long distance for anyone. And that's just my, my personal opinion. Um, yeah. For those people that can do it, kudos to you, but I, I can do it again. Gotcha. I am also not the biggest fan of long distance relationships at all. Okay, so the next question is, what is something people seem to misunderstand about you? Oh, there's a lot. So I think that people like to put black women in boxes just to put black women in boxes. And I will never fit into one, two, three, four of your boxes, even at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. I can, I remember when my ex met me, we met at a friend's birthday party. He thought I was this loud, ratchet, like girl, right? Because I can be that. I mm -hmm. can be that. And yeah. then the next day he met me and he was like, same person? Like, because now I am about my business, right? I'm mm -hmm. so, I think in the gym, I think I'm 5'11 and 200, <laughs> 250 pounds when I am 5'7 and a buck 40. Like, <laughs> in my mind, I'm so much stronger and so much. I tell people BDE, be big energy. Like, that's how, that's what is. I exhibit. <laughs> but I can walk there into is. a boardroom and I can sit there and they're like, mm, why is this girl with her blonde hair and her makeup? And, and then I open my mouth and I'm going to tell you statistics, the most recent. I'm going to tell you what you need that you never thought you needed. And mm -hmm. you will fall apart if you didn't have it. So I think that the worst mistake anyone can make is to put a black woman into a box because then you will never get the true essence of who she is. Um, and, I, and I fight that all the time. I'm going to be myself, but I'm still going to be an asset to any area of my life. I love that. I love that. I, I do hate the narrative of, you know, angry black women or like there's just so many different stereotypes. categories that stereotypes and just they, they want to shove us into. And it is refreshing to prove people wrong and to make them, you know, maybe feel a little stupid or make them feel like they underestimated you. But it's also kind of unfair that we have to feel like we have to do that all the time or do a little extra all the time. Yeah. Where I am in my career, I have absolutely no regards for anyone's opinion. Yeah. I, so how I, do you at this point, like, I don't even care if you feel bad or not. I know what I do and I know how I rock it. So, you know, mm -hmm. you can, and I know what I don't know. I know I have to, where I need to go. So I really pay no regards to anyone's attention. Um, and I know that I can be, I can do what I need to do completely devoid. Of, I can create my own table. I can create my own boardroom. And that's what I want black women to be. We don't have mm -hmm. to ask for a seat at the table anymore. Mm -hmm. Our mothers did that so we can stand on their shoulders and build our own boardroom. That's what I want to encourage. And I, and I want you, Alana, to be able to stand on my shoulders and create a skyscraper that has a boardroom and own it from the soil to the sky. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. I love that. Now, do you have any tips on building that confidence that you just exude and just feeling, you know, like you have a firm foot in what you're doing. Yes. 
know your stuff. Once you know your stuff, you're indispensable. If you get fired, somebody else is clamoring up your door. Where I am, the neighboring hospital is begging me to come there. So it's once you know your stuff, your reputation gets out that you know what you're doing, then you have the you have I say to people, you have, you know, you have their balls in your hands and you could juggle it like you want to, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you have the keys to the kingdom. So that's my know your stuff. The hard nights where you're like, man, I want to be out, but I have an exam tomorrow. Like that, those are the times where you dig deep, you know, know your stuff. Nobody can break you if you know your stuff. My mom used to say to me, what's in your head can never be taken away from you. So I want to say to mm-hmm. you, what is in your head and the skills that you have that come from your hands? Nobody can take that away from you. They will try, you, but they can't. Thank you. I am um, so recently kind of getting back to the know your stuff, be on top of what you know, because no one can snatch that from you. I recently um, missed out on a scholarship because my GPA wasn't high enough. And I think it kind of ties into know what you're talking about so that people are begging to kind of give things to you. And it did put a damper on my confidence. And I think this conversation has definitely motivated me to really drill my head into these textbooks and kind of start trying to do a little bit better. Yeah. um, A lot of black, a lot of, a lot of people that I mentor have performance anxiety. They know what mm-hmm. they know, but they have performance anxiety. And the only way, there's only one way to get over performance anxiety is to practice and practice and practice where you're in your performing, it's like you're practicing. So a lot of mm-hmm. people talk about that, you know, you have to realize that there's a big difference between knowledge, education, and performance. A lot of what you learn in medical school, you will never use a day in your life. You just need to perform in order to get to the next step because everything you're going to learn, you're going to learn in residency. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times I find that my mentees or my students go into the weeds and they forget, they love the zebras and they forget the actual horse. It's the Mm -hmm. horse you're going to see every day. So learning when it is good enough for you to read and understand and when it is good for you to read for performance and practice. If you're going to be taking a multiple choice exam, there's absolutely no reason why you should be reading. You should be doing multiple choice questions over and over and over and over so that you learn how to think through multiple choice. You learn how to decipher between two questions, two plausible answers. What do they really look? They, they're human like you. They write the, I used to write exam questions. They write mm-hmm. the, same, the same kind of way. So you have to make test taking your superpower instead of your knowledge will come, but your, 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 the real thing that is being tested is your test taking, your performance under fire. Because in, as a physician, you're under fire a lot. Everything could be going well, and all of a sudden, a patient starts hemorrhaging. What do you do? You cannot panic. You've got to learn how to work under pressure and other performance with little sleep. That's what these exams really do for you. As soon as we finish recording this, I'll be jumping right into my practice questions. <laughs> um, so you did say that sometimes you're kind of under the fire and things go wrong in surgery or things go 
wrong with just, you know, the day-to-day times you see your patients. So what are, or what do you think are the cons of working as an OBGYN? The cons are you have to work on little sleep. I could be sleeping. They call me and say, oh, your patient is in labor and delivery. Come deliver the patient now. Well, mm. you've got to jump up. Even if you've gotten one hour sleep, next three days, you got to w- jump up. Or you come in, there's a ruptured ectopic. Uh, they, you're on call. you got to jump up, go to the ER, see the patient, do the surgery. Um, mm. And so a lot of OBGYNs have learned to perform under little sleep, high pressure. Since we talked about the cons, what are some of the pros? What are some of your favorite things? My favorite things are, I feel like work is like hanging out. I literally okay. go to work to like just hang out with my patients. I love mm-hmm. surgery. I love delivering babies. So I love every aspect of my job. So it's not like mm-hmm. work to me, right? Like I called my patient yesterday on Christmas day. I was calling some of my patients. They're like, lady, go home. And I'm like, I love this stuff. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. I don't know how for how long I'm going to love it. And the day I don't love it anymore, I won't do it. There are other things you can do with your life, but um, I just love it. And so okay. that's my favorite part about my job. So kind of tying back to what we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, what made you make the switch from dermatology to um, OBGYN? I wanted to do surgery. They do very little surgery. What are the surgeons called? Most surgeons? Is Most that- surgeons, they, they have to do four years of medicine, four years of dermatology. Mm-hmm to do mm-hmm. a cosmetic um, derm fellowship or most fellowship. Well, I didn't want to do that. I could do surgery and then I could switch and do dermatology at the end. So it didn't make any sense to me. And the only part about dermatology that I liked was the cosmetic aspect. I did not care about anything else. So it didn't make sense for me to like do all these other things just to get to that wasn't the route I wanted to take. I have friends that feel, feel the same way. They did. They took that route. I'm taking the route that I like more and it gives me, it allows me to do women's health wellness and then I can add women's beauty. Can you tell me about something that you didn't expect to learn or you didn't expect to experience about your field? Oh, I didn't know. Like until I went, I did my rotations. I didn't know that OGY was so much surgery. I just didn't realize it. Um, And it actually is a place for anyone with any kind of personality if you have a personality of like you love to work in the office, you could do just office. There are people mm-hmm. who do, you know, just GYN surgery. I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe one time in my career, I'll get there where I build mm-hmm. such a surgical practice that I don't need to see OBs. There are people who don't want to do any surgery and they just want to do obstetrics. There are people who work in just the hospital, they're hospitalists or laborists. There are people who do, um, who do fellowships and they do family planning and they just do family planning, contraceptives, they do sterilizations, they do abortions. There are people who do go into fellowship and they do PISA adolescent gynecology, breast fellowship. Um, There are people who do cosmetic surgery fellowships. Um, They do genetics only. There are people who do maternal fetal medicine, which is the high-risk doctors, and people who do fertility specialists, um, and then the urogynecologists who do the, um, u- the urology stuff and the uh, pelvic uh, 
they do a lot of pelvic medicine and re reconstruction of the pelvis. So those are, I mean, there's so many things you can do. Um, they're menopause practitioners, they're sexual dysfunction practitioners of both that, of the last latter two, I'm both of those in addition to being a robotic surgeon. So there's so many, so many things you can do. So that's what I love about GYN. That is way more than I had honestly anticipated. Um, I really thought it was just mostly delivering babies and there's just so much more. So we're pelvic surgeons. General surgeons okay. are operating the abdomen. We operate okay. in the pelvis. So the only people that operate in the pelvis for women are some kind of gynecologist. There are some surge oncologists that do hysterectomies for women who have um, oncology, like who have cancer. Sorry, I forgot to talk about GYN oncology. But there's, you know, there's minimally invasive GYN surgeons, there are reproductive surgeons. There's so many, so, so many fields. And some of them you need fellowships for and some of them you don't. Like I'm a reproductive surgeon, but I did not go to an accredited fellowship. So it's kind of not necessarily something that's required to move into those fields of surgery. I thought that if you wanted to do surgery, you had to do like an extra couple of years of fellowship and then... Um, some, so some minimally, but then they're not always accredited. Um, okay. And so it's just about your skill and how you build yourself. And um, I, I was exposed to a bunch of people who did not go to accredited fellowships and they taught me how to do it how to learn on my own. And so that's what I did because I really wanted to make money because <laughs> I'm allergic to broke. So there's, <laughs> and, um, there's so many, there, there are really very few rules in your career. Mm -hmm. You know, no one can really tell you. That's why I said, don't let anybody put you into a box. Boxes are nice and simple. Don't let anybody put you into a box. Thank you. That is definitely something I'm going to walk away with. So wrapping up the end of the episode, I've got two more questions for you. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? The billboard will say, um, I treat patients with my heart. Um, because I don't treat patients with my head or with my hands, even though I use both of them. I lead with my heart because I lead with love. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I'm sure your patients absolutely love coming to see you. And since you love your job. Um, the final question is, do you have any advice for those interested in OB-GYN? Yes. Um, so in, in medical school, see how your third year rotation works. If you like it, then you can um, reach out to gynecologists around the world. And with social media, it's easy around the country. Um, and see how you, what, what angle you want to take. OBGYN is a tough, tough, tough residency. It's an extremely tough residency, but if that's where you want to be, it is definitely worth it. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for meeting with me today, Dr. Rumala. It has been a pleasure having you. Um, I will definitely add her um, social media in the description below so that you can follow her, you can check out her podcast, etc. And is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we go? No, I just want to tell, I say this at every single podcast episode or every, every single speech that I give, and that is you are worth your dream. You're worth your dreams. You don't need to 
compromise your dreams for anyone, not even for yourself. Mm. That is excellent advice. Thank you so much again, Dr. Ruth. It has been a pleasure having you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays and please stay safe. So this episode made me feel extremely inspired, extremely motivated to do better, to really work in 2021. So I thank you guys again for listening, for tuning in, for following along with us. You can follow me, Alana, on Instagram at pagingdrbryant, P-A-G-I-N-G-D-R-B-R-Y-A-N-T. And be sure to follow our podcast Instagram page at browngirlwhitecoatpod. Feel free to send us a DM or leave a comment on our podcast Instagram, rate or review the podcast as they tell us how we're doing and how to improve your listening experience. Happy New Year, y'all. I loved this episode and I hope you did too. See you next time. Bye.